Welcome to the Druids Grove, where we discuss all things related to Druids, their history, current day practices, and how to build a deeper connection and relationship with the earth. I'm so glad you're here. If you find what I have to share helpful, please subscribe and share with others that may enjoy it, and check the show notes for more information. Come on in, relax for a bit, and I hope you enjoy. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Druids Grove. In this episode, we're going to be talking about interacting with or approaching uh, time. And so we're going to be looking at the past, present, and future. So in Druidry, we tend to kind of take a uh, bird's eye view. Um, that's a nice uh, animal analogy there. Uh, to or, or like a broad perspective when looking at most things. And we do this to kind of be able to understand situations or whatever's going on in our life more clearly and to be able to understand kind of all the nuances of a situation. <clears throat> so by looking at things from different angles and perspectives rather than our own limited uh, one-sided kind of humanistic perspective, we get this deeper sense of connection and appreciation for whatever it is that we're looking at. And as Druids, uh, like in other some other spiritual practices, we can also approach time in this way. Uh, you know, within the concept of time, uh, different approaches can be taken to kind of develop a relationship with it. And most of us uh, envision time as linear, you know, with a distinct past, present, and future, kind of a, you know, a left to right uh, timeline, I guess you could say. Um, and this is useful for a lot of reasons, of course, you know, mostly due to the society that we function in. But the concept um, or the relationship with time that we have today was much less important, uh, you know, thousands of years ago in our ancestors' period. Um, you know, back when we didn't have schedules, we didn't use time clocks, we didn't use clocks, we didn't need to keep track of our age uh, for legal purposes. You know, and, and a lot of different societies today uh, still use different words, uh, different approaches and they understand time differently than like a western you know industrial societies but for our purpose here we're going to look at time as linear um, to some extent and to see how we can work with it <clears throat> excuse me so you know it is fun to kind of think about how time is based on our perception of it and the the ideas or the concepts that we apply to it so um, you know, for instance, if we look at clocks, so if we have a clock that is at sea level and we have a clock that is placed at the outer limits of our atmosphere or even the top of the highest mountain on earth, you know, these clocks will move at different speeds. Um, as time progresses, the time on the clocks will change. They will be different. They will not line up and be in sync. Um, you know, or if we look at it from a much broader perspective, we can look at a year on Earth. So, you know, humans use this term a year, you know, but all that means is it's in relationship to the Earth and the Earth's orbit around the sun. So a year on Jupiter is different than a year on Earth. Um, or even, you know, how we use the 24-hour-a-day concept. You know, 24 hours only applies on Earth, because that's how long it takes our Earth to do one revolution. Um, you know, sunrise to sunrise is roughly, you know, it's 24 hours. 
uh, on other planets, you know, other galaxies, other solar system, it, it, that concept does not apply. So it's, it's very specific to our human perspective. So, you know, our concept of time and our use of time is kind of a construct. Uh, we've developed this to keep things organized. <clears throat> and I don't know, you know, some people are familiar with it, some people are not. So I'll just kind of briefly talk about it. But the, the calendar that is used in most Western societies, uh, it's the Gregorian calendar. Um, you know, it wasn't agreed upon until, I think it was like, I looked it up, I think it was the 1500s. And this calendar that we use was based on a calendar that Julius Caesar, the Julian calendar, that he created. Um, you know, every four years we have a leap year, and that was I think that was Julius Caesar's idea. So... You know, this whole way of organizing and managing time is is a completely, you know, made up construct to keep things organized. And other countries use different calendars, um, you know, but, but generally across the earth, we have agreed on this specific, you know, calendar system and time system, um, mostly for the purpose of, you know, industrialized societies. And if we look at... Um, you know, it, it's just really interesting to think about how the concept of time and the way we approach it is a pretty new thing in, you know, in the history of humans. It's, it's not something that has been used for the, for the vast majority of time that humans have been on Earth. <clears throat> so when it comes to Druidry, we can look at time and a timeline as a way to mark significant events, you know like the the decimation of the druids in the first century for instance or the celtic reconstruction in the 1700s and so on and you know we can work with the concepts of time to kind of deepen our spiritual practice and and our connection to the earth so by working with the past the present and the future you know and all these broad ideas and concepts within them we're able to kind of uh, seamlessly uh, f kind of float through time, travel through time. Um, you know, we can we can interact with the ancestors or future generations. Um, we can bring awareness to our present day actions and what we're doing in current time. Um, you know, this can can help to foster a sense of sincerity and intention to what we do today. You know, when we're taking into consideration the past and the future. And we're not just thinking about today, it helps us to think about it and, and, and have more intention behind it. So what this does, it allows us to live in the now, to live in the present, but we have a much more intense sense of purpose and intention behind what we do. And we can go through life with more conscious awareness and mindfulness of our actions and what we're doing. So first, I'm going to kind of look at the past. <clears throat> and as a druid, we can look at uh, many factors that influence the past. We can attempt to kind of connect to the land that we are on and the people, the animals and the spirits that were here in the past. We can look at the past um, and we can go back as, as far distant as we want or as short um, back in history as we want to. You know, we can look back in time and we can perceive things from the perspective of our ancestors that moved to the area a few hundred years ago. Um, I'm kind of speaking at it from the perspective of, you know, uh, the United States and, and the ancestors and the people that moved here. Or we can look back 
um, all the way back to our kind of bacterial ancestors. We can look back to when the earth was being formed. Um, we can look back, you know, we can look at the land that we are on. Um, for instance, I live in the, the Appalachian area. And millions of years ago, uh, during the phase of the earth where everything was kind of connected, you know, all of the land masses on earth at one point were, were kind of cre were, um, connected in this one area called Pangaea. And the mountain range of the Appalachian Mountains was connected to what is current-day Western Europe. And the Appalachian Mountains are actually the, the oldest uh, mountain range in the world. Um, they used to be very tall, like the Himalayan Mountains, uh, but they have been eroded down over millions of years um, with, you know, all the, the glacial movement and glacial advancement and recession and wind and rain and other forces. Um, the, the Appalachian Mountains have some of the most diverse plant and animal life in the world. You know, and this is also mostly due to uh, the glacial period, the Ice Age. So all these... Um, glaciers from the north, uh, northern North America, um, brought seeds and trees and all these things down to the to the south along the mountains, um, you know, depositing these plants and seeds and all that kind of stuff, and then they receded back. So they deposited all these things that were not normally here, and that's what helps to keep it such a diverse area. And if we look at the United States as well, um, a lot of the United States used to be under the ocean. So this is why you can go to the desert, for example, and find seashells. Like that doesn't like that doesn't make any sense if you're just looking at it. Like why are there seashells in the desert? But if you go back far enough in time, you can see that it used to be under the ocean. So you can look at where you live, and you can look back at the past as well. You know. So what if we're looking at the Earth from uh, the perspective of the past? Uh, what geological changes have occurred over the years? Um, we can look at animals. What what animals? live there now compared to what was there in the past, you know, even at the dinosaurs or, or even going back further than that. So what about the mountains around you? You know, how were the mountains in your country shaped by water and rivers and rain, uh, wind and glaciers, you know, uh, what trees are present around you? How long have they been there? So just, you know, it's interesting to, there are a lot of books, uh, you know, websites, videos, all kind of information out there now about your local land. You can find that stuff out there. Um, but you can also just walk around and, and take notes of things. You can keep a, you know, one thing that a lot of Druid organizations encourage is to keep a little notebook when you, with you when you go out and you go on walks. You know, take notes of the plants and the animals that you see. Take notes of the little things. Explore, you know, and then and then get into these other books and things that talk about the the past and the history of the place. You know, um, compare what you see now to what was what was there in the past. You know, and then you can also from there, if you know what the past was like for the area that you live in, and you know what the present is like, <clears throat> maybe you can look forward and see what the future will be like. You know, if you look at a in, in a hill or mountains, and you have um, a valley and there's a river or a creek running through that valley how, how many thousands of years did it take that that stream or river to make that valley I mean that's 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 what put it there the water over time eroded that valley down into what you see today so if we look forward you know a few more thousand years how much deeper is that going to go 
what will that area look like, you know, in another 5,000 years? So by looking back at the history of the land, we can kind of gain an appreciation for the land that we are on today. So if we see how it existed before, what it looks like today, that will maybe encourage us to kind of take better care of it, um, you know, and foster the land and take care of it for future generations. You know, maybe around you the trees are slowly dying out. Um, maybe the topsoil is getting eroded away due to, like, monocrop agriculture or, or storms or whatever. And you can, you can kind of develop an understanding of the past and present to help to build a plan or work with others that are doing this to preserve the land for the future and to help the land heal. And if we look at the present, you know, try to spend time walking around your area. You know, whether you're in, uh, you go to a forest or a park or uh, around the city that you may live in or live near, you know, driving out to a local forest or the desert or the beach, it's, it's worth getting out into these areas to connect with nature. You know, as druids, we seek connection with nature. You know, a gesture as simple as just sitting under a tree for a few minutes and, and acknowledging its presence and, and acknowledging the relationship between the land and the tree and you, you know, in the here and the now can bring a very deep sense of uh, gratitude and connection and, and help you to see that interdependence, that interconnection uh, that we have with, with our environment. So as druids, we want to try to get out as much as you can and, and help to develop an understanding of how the natural world works and influences your life. You know, try to get out and see the flowers um, when they're blooming in the spring. Get out and see the trees when they're blooming in the spring. Look at them in the fall to see when they're dropping their seeds. Uh, go to the same trees in the winter and see how they're leafless and they appear dead. But understand that process and what they're doing. Um, you know, walk around your area and look at the birds. Listen to the birds. Listen to the, the songs of the birds and how they talk to each other. You know, I don't know if you've ever done this, but it's really interesting to do, and I really enjoy it a lot, is you can hear two birds having a conversation across distances when you listen to them. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, for instance, where I live, there's a large uh, field behind me, and there's a, a perimeter of a of forest kind of that surrounds this field and I'll hear two crows one on for instance the left side and one on the right side and one will caw and then the other one will caw or even blue jays you can hear them kind of talking to each other or doves um, doves are, are interesting because they they pair for life they, they stay together for life so watching watching the birds interact in your local environment I have in the in the summer a lot of times there's a couple of pairs of doves that I see around and, and one will fly off and then it'll make a sound and then the, the other dove will fly over to it. It's, it's really interesting to, to observe these interactions. You know, and this may sound kind of weird too, but you know, try talking to the crows. Um, they, they will talk back to you a lot of times. If you see crows or ravens, um, you can put out bird seed or food for the specific birds in your area and have them come close to you and you can talk to them get a bird call see if you can call the birds in that way you know getting out into the land helps to see where you fit in presently in the present moment and to realize where you want to try to connect more and to protect it and you can develop a relationship with the land around you and this will help you want to preserve and protect it you know wherever you are the land around you is really sacred so think you know just take that into consideration 
and and that's one way to look at it you know from the present moment so then if we look at it to the future look at your land around you that way how are the resources in your area being used um, is the is the timber or the trees in your area are they being cut down too fast you know and now now the land is being washed away by landslides or are trees in forest or fields being cleared to put up subdivisions you know and a lot of times when they do this they'll they'll completely redirect the the it's called the watershed so a watershed is when it rains where does all the water go so there are a lot of maps that show like streams and tributaries and how they go into creeks and then streams and then rivers and then to the lakes and then to the ocean and so on so when when humans come in and, and redirect these watersheds it causes long-term change in the environment around you which affects all the wildlife and the trees and the animals um, you know if you think about that how how are these animals and environments downstream being affected what about local pollution um, you know they're around where I live unfortunately there are some large manufacturing plants and they have been in trouble for polluting in the environment um, you know in some areas around me there the cancer risk is significantly higher in these towns because of the pollution so we can think about you know how many years is it going to take for all of this pollution and stuff to for the earth to heal um, what about landfills if you think about landfills near you where does your trash go um, how long does it take for all the debris and trash and you know styrofoam in a landfill to break down it takes thousands of years for styrofoam to break down I don't know if you if you knew that but if you look into plastics and all this stuff that we throw away um, you know it's really sad to think that long after we are gone and maybe even after humanity is, is not here anymore that all of this trash will still be here you know in speaking of landfills you know they they're supposed to put these barriers um, under the land you know on top of the land before they start dumping to keep toxins and things from leaking into the ground but but a lot of places don't do that and they just get fined for it and they pay fines and then they don't ever fix the problem so you know how many toxins are leaking down through the ground under the landfill near you into the water table where most people a lot of people get their drinking water um, you know around here a lot of people use wells and if you don't know what a water table is <clears throat> underground in most places on earth there's a a pocket of land where water seeps down through the ground and it's a just a really thick it's like an underwater or an underground lake or ocean or river um, but a lot of people are able to drill wells and get down to that water table and that's where they get water from but if we think about humanity and the pollution and all this you know stuff that we're just dumping into the ground that leaches down into there and then people are drinking the water you know how long is that going to be in that water um, what about the local wildlife around you is there an active movement to conserve the land around you you know for the benefit of plants and animals or are habitats being destroyed for progress you know progress of society and then these habitats are being made smaller and can more condensed which is forcing you know the same number of animals into a smaller space making them compete for resources so by thinking of the land and how it may function in the future you know we can work today with passion and intention to kind of protect and conserve it so we can also use time as a concept to look at people so we can look at our blood ancestors 
or the ancestors of place in which we live or spiritual ancestors that may be somewhere else around the world. Um, you know, what can we learn from them? So by looking at it, at these people historically, um, kind of within the context of the time that they existed, we can better understand their actions and their motives. So um, unfortunately, you know, I live in the United States, and unfortunately, looking back, many of our ancestors, you know, especially in the southeastern United States, were slave owners. And sadly, all over the world, um, I heard this statistic the other day, I didn't really believe it, but there are more slaves in the world today than there ever have at been at any point in history. And I just completely thought that was, like, I couldn't believe it. But, you know, despite the historical, um, you know, truths of, of slavery throughout, you know, even Egypt and the Middle East and, you know, the southeastern U.S. and all this stuff, there are more slaves in the world today than there ever have been. But, you know, some people, um, you know, aside from slaves, we can look back at our other ancestors and see how they acted. Um, you know, we can talk about like Europe. Um, some people in Europe can look back, you know, at, at their ancestors and, and have uh, sadness and regret, you know, if we think of Germany. So how many people in Germany, you know, some of their ancestors may have been part of the, you know, the Nazi movement preceding World War II. And, you know, we think about these things and they can stir anger or sadness or frustration or regret or whatever. But by separating the emotions, if we take the emotions out of it and we look at it logically and kind of from a broad perspective, as we can do as Druids, we are able to, able to look at it within the context of the society that these people lived in and what their influences were around them. You know, if we think about it historically, <clears throat> a lot of these people, most of them, they could not have done anything different than what they did. So they lived in this society. This was the norm. This is what people around them did. So most people, I mean, we can look at our society today, and if we look at it kind of from an outside perspective, we can kind of question <laughs> what a lot of a lot of the actions that are, are being done in society today. You know, for instance, just social media trends and just all of this stuff that ultimately has no meaning or can be at the detriment of other people but we still do it you know if we even today and in the past if we step back and look at these things objectively we can see why the people did these things um, they could not have done any different than what they did you know maybe we can do meditation or path working or something and we can kind of understand what they went through we can meet them in these spaces we can learn from their mistakes and we can try to forgive them and and then kind of move on from there so we can look at ancestors um, you know, like I've been talking about but we can look at the ancestors of place as well so if we you know these are not blood ancestors these are just the people that used to live in the spaces that we currently live in so in the United States we can think about Native American ancestors or even the people before them. You know, we can look at what they went through. Um, these people are not our blood ancestors um, of, of, you know, of the people that currently live in the United States, most, most of them. There are, there are some still around, of course. Um, but we can look at their experiences and learn from, from it. We can, um, this can change how we function today and it helps us to better plan for the future. So we can also look at our spiritual ancestors. You know, according to some, 
um, you know, mostly from the writings of Julius Caesar and some of those other people, the Druids did horrible things, you know, like sacrificing humans to the gods or for the elements, for example. Um, you know, other cultures have similar practice. They would sacrifice things, people to the weather gods or, or whatever it was. But, you know, whether these things happen or not, you know, we can look at the past and their experiences and we can learn from it and, and make decisions on how we want to live today and in the future. So if we look at the present day, if we look at people in the present day, um, we can also see how we are either connected or disconnected to those around us. You know, do we see other people around us as a gift or a hindrance or a nuisance? Do we see people around us in a way that enhances our spiritual practice or are they a roadblock, you know, kind of preventing us from achieving our goals and getting in the way of what we want to achieve in life? So we can look at the present and our interactions with the people around us and um, we can we can look at it objectively and understand these interactions with other people better. And, you know, we can look at the motives of ourselves and of other people and develop an understanding uh, of what's going on here. You know, do we want to be in a mutually kind of beneficial relationship with those around us, uh, supporting each other, ensuring the success and a good life for as many people as we can? Or do we want to take kind of a egotistical, self-centered approach, you know, and, you know, quote, be the last man standing, you know, only focusing on our own selfish goals and our own motives. So, you know, if we look at today with the Internet, we're able to connect with many more people than, you know, the people thousands of years ago were able to. You know, they were very limited to their immediate environment and to those around them. So they may have interacted with, you know, the people in their tribes or the local tribes around them. Some people were very adventurous travelers, and they went across continents. We can think of, like, the spice trades and the Silk Road and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, today you can be in one spot, and you can be on the other side of the world in just a couple of moments. That was That's never been possible, you know, until the last 100 years. So, and, and really the past 40 to 50 years. So... People form connections today with other people from all across the world uh, for both good and bad motives and intentions. Um, but we can choose how we want to connect with people in the present and what goals we want to to set. What is our purpose when interacting with people? So if we look at the present moment and present time from the context of our interactions with people, we can choose to decide how we want to interact with people. And if we look to the future... In regards to people we can kind of help to see where society may be heading how how can we help to make people in the future have a better quality of life uh, should this be a goal that we have today and, and really it's up to each individual to kind of decide how they want to approach the future and act today to influence the future but by looking to the future we can allow this to influence our present actions if we choose to so we can also look at this concept kind of broadly um, from a worldly, you know, societal perspective, or we can look at it locally. Um, you know, do we want to have children? How will that influence our lives today and in the future? Do we want to have grandchildren? You know, how will that influence our lives today or in the future? Uh, if, we do, if we want to have kids, how many should we have? If we do have children, you know, we 
look to the future and this helps us decide on how we want to influence them today and to prepare them for the future. But this also allows us uh, within this, you know, working with time concept, we can look to our own past to help them not make the same mistakes we did for them in the future. So time, time is like this continuum on which we kind of constantly shift back and forth depending on our perspective, our intentions, our goals, and, and we just kind of are able to go back and forth on this timeline. So we've talked about land, we've talked about ancestors, we've talked about current day people around us. We can also look at the animal kingdom from the perspective of time. And depending on where you live and the land that you inhabit, there's likely a very extensive history of animals within that place. So for instance, here in the United States, you know, there used to be dinosaurs like there were all over Earth. Um, so, so that's an interesting thing to explore, but we can also look back, you know, just a few hundred years to like in the United States, the buffalo or the wolf population. So buffalo, wolves, other animals, they used to be a significant, um, you know, source of, of life-giving food and, and clothing and tools and all these different things that we used. But these animals have been essentially wiped out over the past few hundred years. And we can look back, so if we're working with time and animals, we can look back and try to understand why this happened and, and who was responsible for it. You know, there are currently areas of land that are designated as wildlife preserves that are being used to build up these populations of some of these species, like, uh, like the wolf. You know, and whether this is good or bad, I guess it kind of depends on your perspective. So, you know, you may be for or against uh, the preservation of, of wolves or, you know, buffalo or, or whatever it is. Um, but there, there's different reasons to do this, which, you know, we're not going to go into here really. Um, but the point is that looking back at the past and how animal populations were managed or mismanaged um, can allow us to make decisions about the present and which will help again influence the future. So again, you know, we can look back to the mistakes of our predecessors and we can make better decisions today. And, and we can apply this principle to any animal species really in any setting. Um, for instance, I was just thinking about this the other day, you know, if we look at lobster. So lobster used to be, you know, earlier, you know, a century ago, they were, they were the food of poor people. So lobsters were considered kind of the bugs or the scavengers of the sea. You know, they were bottom feeders and, and you know, kind of like how uh, there's a, a fish called catfish in, in the United States in certain areas. And where I live, people look at catfish as like food of poor people because probably because people go fishing and catch fish and then they eat the fish. So, you know, people make the assumption that they don't have the money to buy food, so they're going out to catch food. So they're using their physical time and energy to go catch food rather than having a surplus of income to go buy better quality food. That's a common perception, but that's that's not necessarily true. It may be for some people. But, you know, so the catfish of today can be equated to a lobster of, you know, a hundred years ago. So, you know, but now, conversely, lobster are seen as a sign of wealth. Um, you know, why did this happen? And this happened because the population of that species 
dwindled over the years due to overconsumption and lack of conservation. So, you know, now there are like lobster farms and all this kind of stuff. And whereas before they were so, there was such a surplus that people would just go out and just gather them out in the ocean and just eat them. So, you know, they, they've now become so sparse and they have to be farmed and, and raised specifically for the consumption, which has led to a higher price, which has led to this perception that, you know, lobster is a food for rich people. So it's, it's just really interesting when we think about historically how animals have transitioned in this way. So, you know, the same thing is probably going to happen to cows in the future. You know, I don't want to get into a really big debate you know about the whole cows causing you know cow farts causing climate change and all that stuff that's not true if you look at the statistics but but this is an argument that's being used to drive up prices of cows and meat so you know eventually only the rich will be able to afford meat because the prices recently have ri risen significantly um, due to a lot of political reasons um, you know but looking back historically this happened in Europe a long time ago so if we look back at you know the the time of the druids or whatever or even 500 years ago um, people used to be hunters and gatherers and when they when societies were formed and people started gathering in towns and cities well now people aren't hunting and gathering they're depending on others to source their food for them well how which is the easiest way to feed more people you know harvesting grains in a field versus finding enough animals to hunt and kill to feed the people. So preferentially, historically, people have always preferred to eat meat because our our bodies cannot make, you know, fat or protein. We have to consume them. Our bodies can make our own carbohydrates. We don't need to consume carbohydrates. This is a separate topic, but I love science. So, um, you know, there's a process called gluconeogenesis where your your liver can make its own glucose. So you're, you, you don't need to consume carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are not an essential, essential food or essential nutrient, but protein and fat are. And most of our bodies are made of protein and fat. So if we look historically, um, and this is where kind of things are heading today in society for a lot of political reasons, um, you know, historically only the rich people got to eat the meat. So, you know, what did the, what did the commoners eat? They ate gruel and grains and bread and, you know, vegetables and that kind of thing so this is kind of where you know we're heading today with this big push towards you know vegetarianism and not eating meat based on political stances and false science and all this kind of stuff so this is like a, a process of history repeating itself so we can look back um, this is the you know using time and the timeline of past present and future as a way to to gain insight into how the future is probably going to go based on the past. So, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, in the past historically and today, this is a ploy. Um, another premise behind this is a way to keep the population kind of, quote, dumbed down, you know. So, um, f you know, fat is necessary. Um, fat and protein are necessary in every cell of our body. Our brain is mostly fat. So if we, if we make the price of protein and fat so high, you know, under this political guise of preventing global warming, subsidizing grain farmers and so on, um, this keeps the population from getting the essential nutrients they need, which help keep their brains functioning at maximum capacity, 
which then makes them, you know, have a lower IQ. They're easier to control and manipulate. Um, you know, like Marie Antoinette famously said, uh, let them eat cake, you know. So she was so disconnected from the reality um, of the diet of the commoners that they didn't have the nutrients that they need, so that they needed. You know, they didn't have meat. They couldn't afford it. And all they were eating was like gruel and slop and bread and that kind of thing. So she she thought cake was a great food because to her, she's got all the nutrients that she needs and she's eating all the meat that she needs. And, and cake was considered like a, a treat. It was a special thing because she's so used to eating well. So when she was saying, let them eat cake, she thought she was doing them a favor when when you look at it biochemically it's the same thing it's just sugar and carbs and empty calories so she thought she was doing them a favor but you know i, I digress <laughs> it's kind of a passionate uh, topic for me but my point here is you know looking at animals and how they were managed you know we can look at history present day and the future and how animal populations are controlled and managed you know both wild animals and farm animals and we can see how society society is affected at large and, and at the local small level, you know, globally and locally, and how this influences human populations. And, and just, it's, it's really interesting to look at all of these things, but, you know, we can learn from the past and we can make changes in the present that will directly affect the future. So this also um, applies kind of conversely, which may also kind of ruffle some feathers to use another um, animal analogy so some people you know this may bother some people and again I don't mean to be uh, causing conflict or you know are, are being argumentative or anything like that but it's just to kind of look at all of this in perspective um, but there are also other animal populations that get out of control and need to be managed and the one I'm primarily thinking about is the deer population in the United States. So many people that, that aren't hunters, um, I'm, I'm not a hunter, I've thought about getting into it again, but many people that are not hunters don't understand the whole purpose of hunting. And sure, it is a way to get food for one's family, um, you know, and there are a few of those, you know, insensitive uh, a-holes out there, um, I'll, I'll keep it clean. Um, that are, you know, quote, trophy hunters, and they only go for the big antlers and that kind of thing. But <clears throat> but a lot of people hunt for the food. Um, they pay money that goes to these organizations, and, and hunting is managed. It's a very large industry, which is managed by multiple government organizations, both, both at the nationwide level and at the local governmental level. And these hunters have to take courses, and they have to pay fees, and this money goes towards, like, wildlife resource management organizations which which manage all of this stuff and they they look at the concentration of animals in certain areas and decide how many should be harvested per year to help keep the population at a stable rate so um, you know if deer were not hunted they would become very overpopulated and and there are places in the United States where the deer populations are are so out of control um, that like disease starts to spread and run rampant. Uh, their resources and food dwindle, and then the herd dies off and diminishes. So, the overpopulation of deer, to kind of speak at it from a humanistic, egotistical perspective, uh, can lead to many other problems, mostly car accidents. So, 
in the United States, there are over 1.5 million car accidents related to deer annually, which costs over a billion dollars. So, you know, we can look at, we can have a value discussion about, you know, which is more important, saving cars and saving people's lives and saving money uh, versus managing deer populations and deer's lives. And, you know, that's a whole discussion in and of itself. Um, but, there, but there are many reasons that, that it's necessary to maintain, maintain population controls. But again, for our purpose here, we are looking at the past, the present, and the future populations of deer and the deer herds and the necessary function of managing these herds to ensure that they continue as a species. Because unfortunately, we've seen, you know, either a lack of, lack of proper management in one way or another leading to the demise of animal uh, species populations. <clears throat> so we can also look at um, the elements, for instance, uh, in the concept of time. So if we look at the element of water, for, for instance, uh, from past, present, and future, you can look at this locally. So what is your local source of water that you use daily for drinking, uh, washing, you know, washing yourself, washing clothes, cleaning your house, whatever, rinsing things off, watering plants, and so on? You know, do you get your drinking water uh, from a plastic bottle that you bought at the store? Um, is the water in that bottle shipped across the world or your country? Or is it local to where you are? You know, where does the plastic in the bottle come from? Where will it go after you're done with it? Um, you know, one, one kind of interesting fact that I, I didn't realize, you know, we are so, <clears throat> we're doing a better job of recycling. Um, but I, I read this at some point where all most of the plastic that gets recycled is put on ships and it's supposed to get sent to China. I didn't know this, but that's where they do a lot of recycling in the world. But a lot of these ships get out to the middle of the Pacific Ocean and just dump the plastic into the ocean. And there's like um, these these plastic islands in the center of the Pacific Ocean where the currents kind of cross and keep it s stable there. Um, that are like the size of Texas or, or, or huge states or, or small countries just in the middle of the Pacific Ocean that's just plastic. So I think I read that it's, it's a, such a small percentage of plastic that actually gets recycled and reused. It's like 15, 20, 25 percent, something like that. So we think we're doing a really good deed, but in reality it's not really having an, much of an impact. So, you know, but we can we can find ways to reduce uh, the plastics that we use in our drinking water. Um, you know, we cannot even, you know, we can also think about water in the context of what's in it. So um, I, know, I know I'm going on tangents and thank you for sticking with me, but this is, it's, it's all related to Druidry. <laughs> so, um, so if we think about um, the water that we drink and where it comes from, and we think about the plastics that are related to our food and water, I heard a statistic the other day that um, microplastics from our containers, they get into our bodies. And each person, in, this is, I think this was in the United States, ingests about a credit card size amount of plastic every week. It was either every week or every year. Either way, that's a lot of plastic. <laughs> but these, these plastics cause a lot of chemical and hormone disruptions in our bodies. So, you know, try to minimize plastics in your drinking water and in your food but as far as looking at the timeline relationship to plastics you know 
we can look at the environment from where the water we get comes from or the chemicals that are used to make plastic. You know, where do they come from in these environments? Um, what about the wildlife in the area that is being disturbed or the land that is being disturbed to get the plastics or to get the water? Um, what about um, the, the water, um, you know, the water source? Is it being depleted where it's being taken from? Um, how has the environment around you been impacted by water? Um, you know, we can think of floods and droughts historically, rainstorms, hurricanes, you know, uh, pollution in the water, any numbers of factors in the past, present, and future. Again, this, this whole concept within Druidry is to look at these things from the perspective of time and to look at the past and the present and to help decide how we want to act in the present to influence the future to better take care of the water around us. And of course we can also look at you know all of the other elements in this way, the earth and, and <clears throat> excuse me, using fire um, as a as a reconstructive force in rebuilding uh, ecosystems, you know, that kind of thing. And of course the air and air pollution and all of that. So so just applying that concept of time to all of the elements, we can look at it that way as well. So we can also take a look at ourselves. So, you know, how do you view yourself in relation to the past, the present, and the future? So it's easy to look at things kind of external to us. You know, we're talking about the environment and the land and people and blah, blah, blah. So how, how do we shift that, you know? Um, we can look at these external things, we can understand where they were, how they existed or function now, you know, and how the future will look for these external things. But what about you? So again, this approach can be kind of broad or it can be very finite. So we can look at our own soul or spirit or consciousness, and we can try to think about where these, these, these aspects of ourselves uh, were, are, and will be, you know. Um, where where was your spirit before you were born? Where does your spirit lie in your body now? You know, is it in your heart or your head or does it move around? What is the seat of consciousness in the human mind? Where is that? What happens after you die? Where does your spirit go in the future? Um, you know, so we can also look at this from a physical level or biochemical level. So if we think about our, our bodies, our physical bodies, you know, if we think about our femur bone, for instance. So uh, you know, looking at it from the, the aspect of time, past, present, future. So the calcium that forms the matrix of the bone of your femur, where did that come from? You know, where is it going to go when you die? You know, when you die, do you want to be cremated? Do you want to be put in a box underground forever? Or do you want to be returned to the earth uh, to nourish the soil and to help put those elements back into the earth you know and we can think back historically a lot of societies when people died um, they saw it as a way to return their earth their bodies back to the earth as a way to reconnect back into the earth and they thought it was a very spiritual and beautiful thing to do that but now you know in a lot of societies today they look at it as kind of like a a cleanliness perspective or you know maintaining the sanctity of the human body you know, so they put you in a box where you, you know, you stay in this one isolated capsule until however long it takes for that capsule to break down. 
you know, it's just it's just a very f- weird foreign way to look at the human body compared to how it's been looked at for, you know, thousands of years. So, you know, um, we can also look at, aside from bone, we can look at our bodies like the collagen, you know, in our bodies that makes up all the connective tissue uh, or the fat that makes up your brain and all of your nerves. You know, all of these constituent elements at some point in the past were floating around in outer space, you know, before Earth was even formed. So over time, you know, billions of years ago, all of these atoms that were in outer space kind of coalesced and came together. They formed molecules, and these molecules, you know, formed planets and formed various living and non-living things. You know, but a little side note, you know, if you remember the chapter about animism, maybe you maybe you feel that all things are alive. <laughs> um, you know, but the compound that formed the collagen that makes up your connective tissue uh, most likely was once in an animal. And your body uses specialized cells to kind of construct these molecules and shape them to take the food that you eat and to make collagen for, for your body to use. And if you're not familiar with, um, like, nutritional science and that kind of thing, this can seem very weird, but it's, it's an important idea in Druidry that you understand where your body comes from and what, what components were used to make it um, so you can connect with it better. You know, so if we look at this, another, you know, aspect of our bodies, our collagen and soft tissues, you know, after we die, how is our body disposed of? Where does it go? It, you know, is it going to be, excuse me, recycled back into the earth or is it just going to be in a box? So most of the cells in our body, other than our brains and our neurons, um, are constantly kind of turned over, renewed, um, they die and then they are reconstructed. Um, <clears throat> there's a, a process called apoptosis. Um, your body looks at cells that are no longer useful or reaching the end of their lifespan and purposely kills them and removes them from your body. And every few years, pretty much your entire body, except with a few exceptions like your brain, your neurons, uh, it's like every seven or 12 years or something like that, it's completely new. So your actual body, even though it maintains the same shape and size and, you know, appearance based on your genetic expression, the actual cells that make it up are renewed every few years. And, you know, there's a theory that, that the, what causes the limitation of human aging, so, you know, kind of the theoretical limit of a human lifespan is based on our cells and our the DNA in our cells. And the, and the DNA in our cells has, at the end of each part of it, there's it's called a telomere. And they are only able to turn over uh, and replicate themselves a certain number of times. So every few years, like I said, your body is completely new and different than it was a few years ago. <clears throat> but we get all of that from the food that we eat. And so if we think about our bodies, what happens to these cells that we are getting rid of? So our waste, um, our, you know, skin cells that fall off, the hair that we get our hair cut, where does it all go? What happens to it in the future? We, we are so used to seeing, um, seeing everything in kind of, as kind of disposable and, and not interconnected. But when we look at past, present, and future, in relation to our bodies, we are part of everything around us.
So we can also look at our bodies in a different sense. Um, you know, if we think about, we can think about all the millions of types of bacteria that live inside us and on us. So in, in your gut, you, you have <clears throat> millions and billions of types and numbers of bacteria. And on your skin, you have bacteria. You have, um, you have microscopic bugs that live in your eyelashes. I remember when I heard that, I was like, that's, that's absolutely crazy, but it's true. There are microscopic bugs that live in your eyelashes, and they are there all the time. We just don't notice them because they're so small. But if we look, about, look at these things, where, where were the atoms and the molecules that make up these things? Maybe a hundred years ago, before we were born, a thousand years ago, five million years ago, you know? Where are these things going to be after we die? Um, you know, a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, five million years from now. And maybe you don't like to think about these questions, or maybe you feel like it's a waste of time. But again, from a Druid perspective, if we take the time to ask these kind of seemingly nonsensical, endless, pointless questions, we can get insight and appreciation for living in the here and now. And we can better appreciate what we have today. Um, you know, it can let us take better care of our bodies. Um, we can appreciate the bacteria that lives in our gut that helps us to break down food. Or the bacteria on our skin that helps to keep our skin clean and eats dirt and eats viruses and things that get on our skin. <clears throat> it wants us, you know, this allows us to take better care of our body. You know, that the old saying, we are what we eat. You know, that's true. So... If you think about food, um, how is a piece of cake or a soda helping your body? You know, is it helping you or is it is it harming you? Do you look at food as a is food a source of fuel and building blocks for your body uh, that allows you to function? You know, in this in this existence, or you know, is it is food something? that just brings you joy. You know, the way you approach food can help you think about how you want to approach the present and approach the future. Are you, do you like junk food so much that you just eat it every day without regard to the future and how you're going to be able to function and move in society and, and you know, health problems? Or do you take that into consideration? Do you want to approach the present and the future in a way to have a, a balance of I'm going to take care of my body, but I'm also going to take time to have sensual pleasure of eating food that I enjoy, that tastes good. You know, it's up to you to decide. But uh, from this druidic approach of looking at time, past, present, and future, we can make these decisions. And it is important to acknowledge that as a druid, we experience and uh, kind of live through the world um, and take it in through our five senses. We experience the world through these like everyone else, um, you know, but we are also able to take a step back and we can look at, look at things as they're all connected to each other. And it is okay to look at food as a, you know, both a fuel source and materials for your body, but it's also something that brings you joy. And there's, you know, there's no wrong answer here. But, but from the perspective of Druidry, you know, you are able to take a step back and appreciate how you came to be who and what you are. You can appreciate all these connections. 
Um, you can make conscious decisions about how you want to exist and interact with the world around you today and in the future. You can look back at the past and see see what your diet was like and see what your interactions with people were like. And if you don't like how it was in the past, you can make the decision to change it now to have, to go down a certain path in the future. So if we look, we can also look at kind of our, our instead of our physical being our spiritual self. You know, I talked about this a moment ago. Um, speaking of you, you know, what is it that makes you, you? Um, you know, do you call it a soul or spirit or energy? You call it whatever you want to call it. But in each one of us, there's this spark that, you know, kind of keeps the light on upstairs, so to speak. And whatever you want to call it, you know, that's, that's up to you. Um, but, you know, many, many psychologists and philosophers, they kind of think um, that all we are is the sum of our experiences influenced by our genetics. So there's this, again, we're looking at things from a Druid perspective and along the timeline of past, present, and future. So if many people say that as a child, when you're a baby, there is no, quote, you that has been formed. Yes, you have a physical body, but all you are at that point is kind of the the genetic expression of, uh, you know, what your parents came together and, and created. Um, there are, you know, some of them believe that um, our past, you know, influences, you know, past lives and all that stuff. That's up for debate as well. But I'm just talking about, you know, in this lifetime. So as you progress through life, your genes continue to influence a lot of things, but you also have experiences which influence who you are as a person to help form your individual personality. So <clears throat> this is why the question, who am I, is so troublesome to a lot of people. And, you know, this is, this is why existential philosophy um, came into being and became very mainstream. And, and today even existential psychotherapy is helpful for helping people to kind of get down to the root of who they want to be in their lives and to kind of help them figure out what decisions to make in the present that better align with their thoughts and beliefs and what they want to be in the future. So if we look at this from the concept of time and energy, you know, if we're just energy that is influenced on by um, genetics and experiences, uh, where did this energy come from in the first place? So this energy that we have in our bodies, where did it come from? Um, where does this energy that makes our spirit, our soul, you know, our life force, whatever you want to call it, where does it exist in our body while we are alive? Uh, does it move around? You know, does it sit in one area of the brain? Um, this, this, this energy or life or whatever you want to call it, spirit, does it make conscious decisions about how we interact with the world? Uh, do I, you know, do I decide to raise my arm? Or, or does my arm just follow a kind of a cause and effect reaction? Um, does, does my spirit or energy or whatever tell me, um, you know, whatever I call it, does it, does it decide to make me to be depressed about something or to be anxious or to be happy? Or is it just a conscious, uh, is it just conscious of kind of a network of cause and effect that led up to this moment? Um, you know, you know, we talked about free will versus determinism and that whole whole idea. 
Um, but again, this is these are these are just fascinating questions as humans that we can ask ourselves, kind of about the interplay between our conscious energy or soul or spirit, and the timeline of time. So we can we can look at these questions. We can we can look to the future and assess how our spirit or soul or energy can influence the future. Um, you know, what plans do we have? Uh, where do the ideas for these plans come from? Um, is it based on our past? Uh, when thinking, you know, when thinking about the future, maybe we're thinking about becoming financially secure, physically safe, or emotionally happy. Where do we get the ideas about what these concepts mean to us? And how will we know when we've achieved these goals? You know, it's it's just it's just really interesting to think about. And as druids, we 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 are connecting all of these things to our spirit, our energy, our soul, and and earth and nature, and, and just it's all interrelated. So so back to these ideals that we've you know decided upon ourselves. Is it is it a conscious decision that we come to, or is it influenced on by our DNA? or the experiences that we have from our parents or the society that we were raised in. You know, imagine if you were raised in a completely different continent in another country and you speak a different language, even in a different century, a different time. You know, would we be who we are today? Would you be who you are today or would you be someone completely different? So it's, it's just an interesting thought experiment to try to get to the root of who or what you are you know are you you because of your DNA and the experiences you've had or are you this energy that is transferred in between different physical entities over over millennia and over different lifetimes and you know I don't I don't know the answer to that question (laughs) but it's just really it's an interesting perspective to think about and to see the past, the present, and the future, and how all of these things have interrelated, and how we've inter interrelated with our environments to become who we are today. So, so if we look at time, time is very fickle. It's very tricky. Um, time is kind of a conundrum. Um, it's very easy to get lost in exploring the concept of time. Um, we can look at it from different perspectives. You know, we can look at it from time as an experience in ourselves or time from the experience perspective of the objects in our environment or or just as the environment itself manifesting itself and again these are all just thought experiment experiments but they do give us kind of a glimpse into the perception of reality from different viewpoints from different perspectives so again as a druid it's up to us if we want to explore these topics this stuff may seem completely pointless to you and that is 100% okay but but it is a common concept within druidry and other most spiritual practices to look at the past present and future and and to see how we are all interconnected and and to make decisions based on our perception of these things so you can simply be a druid that lives in the present moment and you live in the here and now and you're using your five senses and you're appreciating the wonder and beauty of the things that you see in front of you right now and if that's as far as you want to go that is that is completely fine that is that is a huge component of druidry um you know in in reality the only moment we actually have that is tangible to us is this moment right now 
And Druidry, out of most spiritual practices, really focuses on that. Um, you know, a lot of religious practices or whatever, they they are only primarily thinking of the future. And you have to act today to have a secure and specific future. You know, that's where dogma and all this stuff comes in. But Druidry is about living in the present moment. So this whole concept of past, present, and future, you can you can utilize it to whatever extent you would like to, and it is there, and we are aware of it. But in Druidry, we are very much in the present and in the five senses as well. So again, this present moment is all we have, and we are always kind of on this precipice of the past and the future. It's like the present time is, is a liminal space. We talked about liminal spaces. The present moment is a liminal space between two other non-existent worlds. So anything in the past is is in our mind. We cannot physically interact with the past. Anything in the future is physically in our or is in our mind. We cannot physically interact with the future. So you are you also physically are only in the present space that you are in. So you you can only exist in the present space and the present time that you are in right now. And it can be no other way. So we can do these thought experiments, of course. We can do path working or whatever, meditation. But anything that's in the past or the future is just a thought. So, you know, really the past and the future don't exist except within the context that we give it. So as a Druid, you know, as you go through your day, you get the choice of how you want to approach time. Um, It's your life. It's your experience. I personally, I, I enjoy kind of moving around space and time and, and, and having these experiences that I would otherwise not get to have. You know, if I limited myself only to the present space and time that I exist in. But something that I've really learned over time and have come to appreciate is that I have such a deep gratitude for being able to live in the moment and to appreciate everything around me right now. I really, unfortunately, um, before I got into Druidry, and some other things in my life that helped give me, you know, insight and purpose. I lived in the past a lot. I lived in regret um, and depression and that kind of thing. And I also lived in the future a lot and had a lot of anxiety and worry and fear. But Druidry has helped me to see time as a tool and as an approach to to my life that that I can interact with and choose how to interact with it rather than being stuck or kind of being a slave to it. So, you know, in the past, <laughs> in the past, in the past, I let my thoughts about the past or the future keep me from being in the present. And with Druidry, it has such a strong emphasis on the present and being here in the moment and having a an experience in this moment using the five senses and the spirit. Uh, the sense of spirit that I can interact with the world around me right now. And I feel more connected than I ever have to the people around me and my environment. And I have more gratitude for being alive in this body and having these experiences and, and being in the place that I am than I've ever had in my entire life, thanks to Druidry. So I, I want to apologize if any of the things I've talked about have been offensive or too long-winded, but it's just... When I came into Druidry, I did not know any of, I had no concept of any of this stuff. And, and if you are like me, and you're interested and curious and exploratory, I just want to share ideas with you so you can have a broader 
exposure and understanding to these concepts and you can choose whether you want to incorporate them into your druid practice or not. So the way you choose to practice druidry is up to you. I just want to, again, provide more options, um, you know, and ideas about how to experience the universe. So with that, I will go ahead and end this episode. And thank you so much for listening. Take care. Thank you so much for joining in at the Druid's Grove. I thoroughly enjoyed sharing this time and information with you. I hope you learned something and are inspired to build a connection to the earth and the world around you. If you liked what was shared, please feel free to give back at Buy Me a Coffee. Join me on Substack, where I have transcripts, or listen on YouTube, and find the group on social media. For more information, check the show notes. I'll see you in the Grove. Until next time.